Welcome to the Exodus Health Center podcast. These seminars are recorded live Monday nights at 7 at the Exodus Health Center in Kennesaw, Georgia, where we believe that God needs no help, just no interference. Tonight's workshop is entitled Heart Disease Prevention and is presented by Dr. David Jockers. Now, here's Dr. David. Who knows somebody who has heart disease in their family? Who knows somebody? Probably, probably most of us, right? Our family are close to us, right? For some of us, it's been us. And so, you know, obviously, this, this is a workshop that really hits close to home. That's something we absolutely need to know and really need to understand. I'm really surprised this room isn't packed. You know, obviously, with heart disease, a topic like this, it ultimately really should be. Um, and so, you know, obviously, we're going to talk a lot about really the basics and really going over exactly all the mythology that we've heard. Who's ever heard that cholesterol causes heart disease? Who's heard that? Probably everybody in the room, right? So we're going to talk about that. Who's ever been told to take a baby aspirin, right? The baby aspirin would be good for your heart. All of us, right? So again, another major topic that we're going to really talk about and really discuss if that's really of benefit to us. And so um, just real quick, I actually want Satish to come up here and uh, share a little testimonial. And so some of you guys might know Satish actually um, he had a quadruple bypass uh, not too long ago, a couple couple years ago, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. go ahead and just tell your story real quick. Okay, three years ago, I went to a doctor for a symptom. I was 58. And when I went to the, my primary doctor, she said, well, I want to report you to cardiology. I said, okay. And meanwhile, I had my blood report and everything. And Cardi said, nothing wrong with you. you know, it's everything looks normal. Then uh, my son is a doctor, so I told Father, why don't you talk to my son? And then he agreed, I go home. Your son's a lung specialist. Yeah, right? my son is a lung specialist, you know, and uh, the doctor said, okay, hold on a minute. If somebody refers me, then maybe you can see the problem. They can look outside, okay. So he said, okay, I'm going to put you on a stretcher. And at that time, I was too big, so I said, I cannot remember real big. So he said, no, no, you're going to lie down on the table, we're going to put under the chair, and we're going to test you your heart. So meanwhile, the machine broke down. <laughs> I had a chance to uh, you have to do it again. Then my cardiologist called that, well, I suspect that you may have a clogged artery. But how bad it is, we don't know yet until we go for further test called heart catheterization. That's where they put a camera through your body and find out what is exactly wrong. At that case, they told me something they said in their head, you know, as unusual. I said, what's the problem? So said, we have a good news and a bad news for you. Good news is your heart is perfect. And the bad news is around your heart, you have four clogged arteries. They are so bad that one is 100%, other is 96, 97, 85. So even uh, medicine won't help to figure that thing out. You have only one choice left to open heart surgery. And we don't want to wait so you cannot go home. We're going to have a surgery tomorrow morning that we schedule for you. Then I said, well, what choice I got? Next choice, just sign the paper. And I'm glad they did the surgery. And after two and a half years, I born like a new man again. But uh, nobody answered my question, why people develop heart disease? Even including heart surgery and everybody. And that's why I came over here to find out. And this was the best time. Yep, that's right, that's right. And what did the doctor, he went in, you got checked up. What did the doctor say? What did he say okay, about yeah. her? After a year and a half, I went to my same uh, family doctor. And uh, she took a jack on me and said, you think I'm going to go back? And he said, 
something unusual. I said, what's wrong? So your back looks so nice and uh, like that. So what you are doing? Then I told that I'm coming over here. I'm taking the big man, you know, and for my fraction and everything. And then she said, I'm sorry, you know, because that's going to help you out to get rid of all her business. Yeah, and so one thing, and we'll, we'll talk about this, so Tisha, when he first came in, his head was shifted way out here. Who's ever seen somebody that has their head shifted way out there? Yep. And that's forward head posture. That puts a ton of stress and pressure right here on these nerves that feed right into the heart. And so as his posture has improved, right, as he's gotten correction in his spine, obviously he's had dramatic change. His heart's healing better, right? His body's functioning better. All the tests are coming out good. Uh, we were talking today. we still got a little weight to lose, okay, obviously, I'm but uh, we're doing good. Carry the same clog also because the reason why it's like a yeah. if you have a traffic jam, they put a detour around, okay? So they put another thing so blood can go through your heart. Then I say, Why don't you check the same my clog artery after two years? And I guarantee it will be open again. And that's why I'm working for it. Yep, that's right. So he's working hard. All right, give him a round of applause. Oh, Satish is a great student. He's at all these workshops. He's learned as much as he can. He's at the surge classes, right, doing everything he possibly can to really make these next stages, these next changes. And so let's get into this. So really a couple big things with heart disease, and really how it's, it's really how we look at it and how we perceive it. And so, of course, in our culture, right, there's some common things that we're taught. We're told that internal health, of course, is predetermined. Who's, who's been told or who knows that they have a – uh, they have somebody in their family has heart disease, so they have a genetic link to heart disease. Who's been told that or, or has heard that? Probably most of us, right? And so, I mean, really, if we really looked at our, our, our background, our family history, probably most of us have heart disease in our family, cancer, right? Some sort of a degenerative disease process in our body. And so we know that health is really determined in our culture by our genetics and by the type of viruses and bacteria that we're exposed to. So I was in the airport this weekend. I flew out for my uh, cousin's wedding. And so right there, like literally like, uh, like every 100 yards, the CDC has this big poster. And on it, it says, prevent the spread of flu, right? And so right on there, it says, wash your hands, right? Um, it says, uh, bring a mask if you're concerned about it. And it says, make sure you get vaccinated, right? Right on there. And so it's kind of this, this approach where you know, we're kind of scared. We, we don't want to be around you know, bacteria, viruses, things like that. And that's really the common, uh, the common perception in our society. We, we really think that, um, that, that our body isn't strong enough to break these things down ourselves. And so really, you know, that's, and that's really our culture, and that's what we're told. And so let's look at really how that medical system is working. This is key because this is the predominant thought system in our society. By default, anybody who's living in the American society, they think this way, don't they? I mean, I know I did growing up. I always thought this way too, right? And so, um, so we've got to really think how this, how this is working for us. So this is Business Week, May 29, 2006. What they said is our medical system costs $2 trillion a year. Who spends the most on, on health care? Who does? We do, right? By far, absolutely. We tripled the closest country to us, right? And here's the thing. This is what they said. This is what uh, Business Week said. Because they said this, that out of all the top countries in the world that got ranked when it comes to healthcare, the healthcare system, Time Magazine actually came out with this article. They said we were actually last, right? So out of 42 countries, we're 42nd, right? So, so we're not doing so good. Yeah, we're spending all this money, but our healthcare system isn't doing good. Business Week says this. They said, um, this is what the, the doctor said, 
He said, most of what we do is based on rules and traditions, not scientific evidence. So the guy that they interviewed, this is what he was saying. He said, vested interests play a significant role in the course of treatments and recommendations. So basically, it's really, even though we're told this is the scientific approach, what we know based on the, the recent articles that have been coming out is that it's not necessarily the case. And let's look at really what's happening in our society. So this is from 2004. What they found was that one out of two people will die of heart disease. In fact, if we were really looking at that statistic, it's 48% will end up getting heart disease in our society, 48%. So you know, there's probably about 20 people in the room, so that means 10 people are going to get heart disease. So who's going to get it? Who's getting it? Who's volunteering? Nobody, right? So Teach knows he's already had it, right? I'm Vincent, you know, you obviously have. But, but nobody else is volunteering. Nobody else is jumping up to volunteer. But here's the thing. Do we ever plan on getting heart disease or cancer? No, right? So Nadine, what were you telling me? You, went, you had to take a trip down to Jacksonville because your, your brother is it? My brother had triple bypass surgery. And it was a surprise. It was his third time. Yep. And it was a surprise, you said, right? Yes. It's just all of a sudden, right? Exactly. And this is what's hap what happens in our society. We're really not prepared for these things. Look at all the people that develop heart disease. By the way, on average, if you develop heart disease, right, or like somebody like Satish, you get a surgery, or obviously, Vincent, you've had a couple issues. And so on average, our medical society can keep us alive for 8 to 10 years, right? So with medical tests, drugs, and surgery, we can stay alive for 8 to 10 years. But how much money do you think that they're going to put in? for those eight to 10 years? Medical tests, drugs, and surgery, how much money? A lot of Quite a bit, right? Yeah, on average, average individual that walks in the model, if you add up the medical tests, the drugs, and the surgery, it's over $300,000, right? So $300,000 into that system. So here's the thing, they were talking about vested interests play a role because all of a sudden people start getting healthy, right? They really know the truth and they start getting healthy. Who loses all that money? The doctors. Well, it's not necessarily the doctors, but really, it's, yeah, the big yeah. industries, right? The drug companies, right? Because obviously they're prescribing the drugs, right? Uh, what, who else? The hospitals, right? Any idea how much it costs one night in the hospital? Anybody know? It's it's actually yeah, it's actually eight to ten thousand. It's in like a hundred bucks for a Tylenol or something like that. It's, it's some crazy numbers. On average, they're saying between eight to ten, eight to thirteen thousand dollars, right? So for a bag of saline, one of my friends, she said the bill was two thousand dollars for a bag of saline that they gave her. Crazy, right? I mean, I mean, Vincent, you kind of know this stuff, right? It's, it's unbelievable. And so, this is what's going on in our society. So, really, obviously, we've got to take a vested interest because ultimately, who's responsible for your health? We are, right? And so, you've got to take action. That's what the information that you're going to get today. So, look at this right here. So, Children, Time Magazine came out. They were talking about our supersized kids. They talked about these statistics. 2004 again 25% of children, five and up, right? And they, they, these are five to 11. Um, already had plaquings, uh, significant plaquing in their arteries. Right? What they did was they took autopsies on these children who were in car accidents, and they and they obviously were looking for plaquing, and they found that 25% had significant plaquing. Look at this: 60% of 15 and 19-year-olds that they tested had plaque building up in their all-important coronary artery that supplies the heart. Do you feel that plaque building up in your heart? No, right? So you never feel it. But in our society, what do we base our health on? How we feel, don't we? Right? We think if we feel fine, then we are healthy, right? That's what we think. But the reality is, kids are developing heart disease. It starts now, it starts today, right? Every single decision we make, we're either moving towards life and health or moving towards sickness and disease. For lack of knowledge, my people perish, right? That's what it says in the Bible. And that's because we don't know these, these 
these fundamental truths about how our body works. So let's let's keep going here. Okay, fortunately, this is the new culture right here, the maximized living culture. And I'm one of about five, 600 doctors and growing. There's more and more of us around the country. And we're dedicated to really giving you guys the truths about how God designed our body to heal. We know that all healing comes from the inside out. And really, the definition of health, when we really want to know how to be healthy and well, we've got to look right into the word. What's, what are the first four letters of health? Heal. Heal, right? And so rather than how we feel, being healthy is about how we heal. You see that, right? That we have 75 trillion cells in our body, yet every seven months we have a new heart, right? So, Georgia, you have a new heart seven months from now, right? That every six months you have a new liver, right? That our body is constantly healing. That, that Brennan, every, every three to five days you have an entirely new stomach lining. Literally every, every two to three days, new intestinal lining. That our body is constantly in this never-ending state of healing. But what controls all that function, all that healing in our body? What does that? Your brain. Your brain? Nerve system, right? Spinal cord, right? Coming right down there, that flow of life getting out to the body. And so obviously we've got to look there first. And so our maximized living lifestyle looks like this, right? We've got to eat well, move well, breathe well, think well, and rest well. And when we start doing these things, really really tapping into these fundamental principles of how to be well, all of a sudden we take on this incredible level of health. All of a sudden we became this, become this amazing testimony. And we become, who was at the anti-aging workshop last week? Some of you guys saw all those pictures of people, 100, 120, you know, 116 years old, in amazing health. All of a sudden, we become part of that, right? And we become, who here would love, love to be 80, 90 years old, running down the, the, you know, running on the beach or, or lifting your great-grandchildren over your head, have that incredible energy? Who'd like to do that? All of us. And so when we take simple, right, but responsible actions when it comes to our health, that sets us on pace for that. And so let's look at a couple of these myths. So I, I asked you guys, who's heard about, or who's been told by a doctor to take aspirin a day? So I know Satish has, James, you, you have, probably, yeah, so, so Victor, you have as well, absolutely. So you know, a lot of us have been told this, to take an aspirin a day, but, but you think about it, why would, why would we be told that? What, is, you know, what does aspirin do for you? Thins the blood, right? So who's heard of platelets before? Yeah, they're part of, so platelets are a blood cell, right? And they're, they're actually what, what helps to coagulate your blood, right? So they actually help clot your blood. So what, what aspirin actually does, it thins out your platelet counts, right? And so it thins out your platelet counts. So then here's the thing. What does your body do in response? Because our body runs on something called homeostasis. Who's heard of homeostasis before? Well, that means it's balance and equilibrium, right? So your body's always searching out balance. So if we take something artificially to lower our platelet count, what does our body do in response? That's right, it's gonna increase, make more platelets. You guys see this? That's why you gotta take the aspirin every single day because you gotta counteract what the body's doing in response. And so here's the thing, we keep taking that aspirin a day, but you think about this, we're messing, right, with our blood cells. Is that gonna be good for the rest of our blood cells, right? So you think about, how about our white blood cells, right, and what, what, what destroys cancer cells in our body? White blood cells, right? Absolutely, and so if we're messing with our platelets, is that gonna be good for our white blood cells? No, because they're what hunts out and regulates cancer cells, so then what's gonna increase in our body? Cancer, you see that? Because our body, our self-healing network is being interfered with, right? So now, cancer starts to grow. And so what, what the science has shown is that when you take an aspirin a day, first off, 
you also increase platelet counts, right? So what happens is it actually increase blood clotting in your body. And so what we know is that it actually increases your risk of stroke, and I'm gonna talk a little bit about that. Not to mention that will increase your risk dramatically of getting cancer, two particular types, one breast cancer and the other one pancreatic cancer, right? And so for example, who's heard of um, Christopher, I'm sorry, uh, Patrick Swayze, Sir Patrick Swayze, a lot of you guys have? Right, so Patrick Swayze had chronic migraines. Guess what he was taking all day long? Aspirin, ibuprofen, right, all these different things. And so, guess what? Guess what he ended up dying from? Pancreatic cancer. And when he got pancreatic cancer, do you think the doctor sat down with him and said, listen, we really need to rethink you taking all these over-the-counter pain, pain pills, right? Did he ever say anything about that? No, because mm -hmm. did they ever get to the cause, right? They didn't even ask questions about the cause, right? They went right to what kind of treatment? Chemo, radi what do they give people with cancer? Chemo, radiation, exactly. And so chemo and radiation, I mean, did, do you think that actually, I mean, that, that definitely can destroy a tumor, but what else does it do to the body? Yeah, it destroys the rest of your body. Who's seen somebody go through that? Yeah, I mean, for me, guys, I saw my grandfather go through that. He lost over 100 pounds. I mean, literally, I mean, the last couple months of his life, I watched him going through this, just spitting, coughing up blood. I mean, it's the worst pain you could possibly imagine left a huge mark on my life. In fact, I still remember going into the hospital room, right, and, and seeing him, it was actually a nursing home, seeing him lying there just spitting up blood, a beaten, withered, defeated man. And the worst part about it was when I would see him, when I would see him sitting there, right, he'd have this look on his face and he was just, I could tell he was absolutely humiliated that his family members, right, that people that loved him would see him in that state. Right? And that's really, I mean, ultimately, God just took my heart then. I asked him, you know, to, to show me what I need to do, teach me what I need to learn, so that doesn't happen to anybody else, right? And that's why, obviously, I'm here. And, and so we have to understand these fundamental truths because if we keep doing what everybody else in society, right, what all the great doctors, the great physicians, everybody in society is telling us to do, where are we going to end up? Dead. <laughs> yeah, we're going to end up dead, right, or in the nursing home, aren't we? Absolutely, that's what's going to happen. And so let's think about this. So look at this, look what the research says. Aspirin resistance, that 40% of our society is actually aspirin resistant, meaning that when they take it, okay, when they take the aspirin, instead of thinning out the blood, it will actually help, it will actually start to clot it. Our, the, 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 um, the coagulant factors are actually resistant to the aspirin and it'll have the opposite effect. So it actually dramatically increases the risk of heart attack and stroke. And the real problem is they don't know how, who's gonna respond to that. They really don't. And it, it's really, uh, I was looking for all kinds of research on aspirin resistance, and everybody's saying we really don't know much about it. All we know is some people just don't react well to it. And so this is what, what was going on. So let's look at another thing, a heart's great heart surgery myth. And so we're really looking for, for scientific evidence. Look at this right here, heart surgeries, um, 400,000 bypass surgeries performed every single year. Average cost, this is out-of-pocket cost, okay? So not insurance-based cost because we know you get a bypass, right? You're looking at $100,000. Out-of-pocket cost, $20,000 is the average, okay? I, and I have a problem here. Though. Yeah. Skin heart surgery if you go to India, they could be for $1,000. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they don't have medical system over here. Yep. They don't care too much money for themselves. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot different, isn't it? Absolutely. So look at this. So they said... Um, so basically, they said many of these surgeries are not fully warranted. Our surgeons think they're, they're ult the ultimate solution, of course, because you know, they're the surgeons. However, up to 20% of these surgeries actually result in death. 
And so a lot of these people, this is coming right out of business week, they think that they're over-treating, that they're jumping to surgery, okay? And so, you know, I, I can never fully blame a heart surgeon, you know, and they do great work. I think, you know, our cardiac surgeons are incredible. They save lives. But the reality is that we've really got to understand really all the basics. And so most people think that heart surgery or any of these surgeries, that it is scientifically proven. And the reality is we really don't have surgery or don't have much research on it. And that's the reality. In fact, the only placebo-controlled study that was really well-performed that was, it was actually done on a knee. They did a fake surgery. So they had a placebo group where they, they put them out as if they were going to do surgery, right? But they didn't actually do any surgery, okay? They didn't know, right? And they, they just bandaged them up, and they came out of the they, – once they, they reawoke, they, they were in the, under the impression – they couldn't see their knee. They were under the impression that they got a surgery. The other group that actually got – and then there was another group that actually got the surgery – what they found was that when they, when they ranked their quality of life a month later, the people that didn't get the surgery actually had greater quality of life improvements right, than, uh, than the people that got it. Right? So it was, you know, it was actually a backward study. They showed that the placebo effect when it comes to surgery plays a huge role. And I always tell people, listen, placebo is probably the most well-researched. You guys know this? The most well-documented, well-researched tool to healing. It probably is, right? So we want to use that to our benefit um, but ultimately, a lot of these surgeries, there's no evidence showing that, that, they, that they really uh, save lives. So unnecessary surgeries. Um, so this doctor right here, Harvard professor, he says he would estimate that at least 400,000 angioplasties, where they put the little balloon, right, and they open up the blood vessel, at least 400,000 that are performed every year are unnecessary. Okay? So according to him, that's 25% of the amount that are done every single year. Right, that he thinks that are unnecessary. So, how about cholesterol? Right, we've all heard throughout society that cholesterol causes heart disease, and people are always telling me my cholesterol is high. My cholesterol is high. Well, we got to really understand. In business, we kind of question cholesterol. There, in fact, um, as of last year, Lipitor and these uh, these cholesterol-lowering medications, the statin drugs, they are the top-selling medications. Okay, antidepressants are right behind them, and so. There's obviously huge vested interest in them. So let's look at the research here. Cholesterol and heart disease. We have no evidence that taking cholesterol-lowering medication like a statin will prevent them from getting heart disease. So this is uh, um, a lady who actually is a director of the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. She said this in 2008. So let's look at statin drug side effects. So cholesterol plays a huge role in our body. You guys know this? I mean, it plays a gigantic role. In fact, it helps our body heal. It's actually a healing molecule. Um, and so the, the healing process, all cell membranes depend on cholesterol, right? And we're going to talk a little bit more about how that works. But they also help produce vitamin D, right? It helps produce um, uh, steroid hormones like testosterone, estrogen, so all your major hormones. I mean, it's a number of things that, that cholesterol really does. And so these are the major side effects of statin drug, uh, of, of taking statin drugs. So muscle pain, this can be unbearing, right? Absolutely, muscle pain, so damage as far as that goes, neuropathy, muscle weakness, depression, because guess what our brain is? It has a lot of cholesterol, right? So we take a cholesterol-lowering medication, guess what now is deficient in cholesterol? Our brain, you guys see that? And our brain absolutely depends on cholesterol. In fact, if you were to really look at it, it is loaded. It's about 40%, 40% of the fats in our brain are cholesterol. So absolutely key. So when we start taking these cholesterol-lowering medications, almost always, I would say probably about 75% of the time, somebody that walks in my office with cholesterol medication, 
They're also on a brain drug, right? Like an antidepressant, an anxiety drug, something like that, because it goes hand in hand. So now their brain's not functioning the way that it should because they're deficient in cholesterol. So let's look at, at the research. You guys see this. I know this chart can be tough to really understand, but it says blood cholesterol is not the best predictor of heart disease. So this red bar right here, these are people who've had heart attacks. So when it says MI, that's myocardial infraction, which is a heart attack. This yellow line are people that have not had heart attacks. So right here you can see, because what, what is supposed to be the upper limit for cholesterol, total cholesterol? 200, right? So we want it, obviously, you know, we're told that we want it under 200. But do you see this right here? Where this peaks for both areas, okay, is right here at about 225. You guys see that? And so the peak amount of people getting heart attacks, but also not getting heart attacks, right, is right there, 225. Okay, then it starts to go down significantly. Do you see that? Right, so right about here, I tell people, this is kind of the range you're really looking at. So this is 275, where these intersect. Right here is where, because they took, you know, basically a, a group of people, you know, the same group of people, and they, they ranked them. And so this is out of the Framingham study. And so we want, which is, anybody heard of the Framingham study? So it's like the biggest study done where they took this group of people in Framingham, I think it's in Connecticut, right? And they're doing like 50 years of research on all these people. And so you can see right there, now we start to have an increased association with heart attack and, uh, and cholesterol, right? And high cholesterol. So more people are getting it right here where that, that starts to drop steeply. And so after 275, and let's continue to look at this. So the cholesterol limit, believe it or not, look at this, people with high cholesterol live the longest. And so this is some, some amazing research that was done. Okay, but what they did was they found that people with low cholesterol died twice as often from heart attack as, as did old people with high cholesterol, right? And so most of the studies of old people have shown that high cholesterol is not a risk factor for coronary heart disease. So lots and lots of research has gone into this. In fact, who got the newsletter? Who read my last newsletter? We talked about the lipid hypothesis, right? And that lipid hypothesis was developed without any concrete evidence, right? It was a hypothesis, it was a thought process. He actually, uh, Ansel Keys actually built off of a hypothesis that was common that, that a lot of people had, had, had thought, and it was a, another doctor that had kind of, what he did was he did an autopsy, this is back uh, late 1800s, and he found fatty plaque in somebody's artery. And so he came up with this research and he said that, you know, it must be fat that causes heart disease, right? Because he saw fatty plaque. So his uh, initial thought was it's the fat getting jammed up in the arteries. And he started to, to break down the fatty structure and he found out that it was, that part of it was cholesterol, okay? However, not all of it. About 24% is cholesterol. A lot of it is oxidized polyunsaturated fats as well. And so let's continue to look at this. Cholesterol and chronic heart failure. So largest study performed at the UCLA Department of Medicine, what they found was that after five years, okay, looking at more than 1,000 patients with severe heart failure, after five years, 62% of the patients with cholesterol below 129, which if you had it below 129, typically they think that's great, right? They would, the medical doctors would tell you, that's great, you know, you're doing awesome, you know, your cholesterol is exactly where it should be, right? That they had died, but only 30% of the patients above 223 had passed away. 
But a typical medical doctor, they see somebody with 223, what is, what's their response? Yeah, pen pad reflex, right? So pen pad reflex, boom, right to that prescription, right? Writing that out. And so give, that's right. So, and it doesn't even matter. Because if it's over 200, they'll still give it to you. So we're gonna we're gonna break that down. We're gonna get into more more detail with this. But I just have to show you guys all this research of saying that actually high cholesterol is actually beneficiary to our body. High cholesterol protects against infection. So new studies have found that low cholesterol is in certain respects worse than high cholesterol, like we were talking about. Low cholesterol predicted increased risk of dying from GI infections and respiratory diseases. Because cholesterol, good cholesterol, like I said, helps our body build vitamin D. And vitamin D is critical for one of the systems, obviously our immune system. And so if you're low in vitamin D, then guess what? Your immune system is gonna have, obviously it's gonna be more susceptible. And so then you're obviously, you're gonna be uh, you know, at a greater risk of dying young. Not to mention, cholesterol also plays an important role in prostaglandin formation, which, uh, which are, are basically little intracellular hormones that, that interact between cells. So look at this, low cholesterol and HIV AIDS. So another study, more than 300,000 young and middle-aged men, okay? And they, they took 300,000, so this is a huge study, huge numbers, and they found out that um, the number of men whose cholesterol was lower than 160 who had died from AIDS was four times higher than the number of men who had died from AIDS with cholesterol above 240.7, right? So again, this would absolutely confuse the heck out of most people who are reading this. If we don't really fully understand what cholesterol does, then that absolutely that's gonna confuse us. So look at this, high cholesterol and longevity. Okay, so this guy right here, he actually wrote a book on this. Um, uh, Ravnsok, or however you say his name, he's Russian. And so what he said is, um, to the, so basically high cholesterol occurs most often in people with the lowest rate of death, right? And so his quote is, to the public and the scientific community, I say wake up, right? And so it is about time that we woke up to this truth. And so the next time, you know, the medical doctor or whoever you go into says, you need to take these medications, I say show me the proof. Show me the proof that they reduce my risk of heart disease. Show me the proof that they're gonna increase my longevity and, and my lifespan. Show me the proof, right? And guess what they'll do? Yeah, they're gonna say, um, well, I just think it'll, it's gonna work for you, right? And they're not gonna be able to find any. And that's just the reality of it. They're not gonna be able to find any research that actually shows that. And so he wrote a book on this. Fat and cholesterol are good for you. Right, and if, if I had told you guys that before you ever met me, what did, what would you have said? That's ridiculous, right? You are crazy, right? Absolutely, that's what we would have thought. But now you guys are starting to understand this principle. We look at a cell. So we, we sitting here, right here, we're about 75, to tr 75 trillion cells. What makes up the outer layer of every cell in our body? What makes that up? It's fat, right? And so it's fat, we have a, a bilipid, layer, right? And so with that, there's two fatty acids right here, hand in hand, that make that up. Now we also have protein pieces that come up. Those form the receptors, right? So who's heard of like insulin before, okay? So insulin, for that to interact with our body, it needs a receptor. So the receptors are proteins, okay? Then we've got cholesterol. And cholesterol is key because cholesterol and saturated fats, they're kind of like the supports. They're very, they're solid at room temperature. 
right? And so they are their support structures. The other fats that are in there, they all have double bonds, okay? Who's heard of monounsaturated fats? Everybody, right? So monounsaturated fats, how many double bonds do they have? What does mono mean? One, right? So that's one double bond. So olive oil, right, is, is um, a liquid at room temperature. However, you put it in the refrigerator, now what does it look like? Solid, right? Exactly. That's right. And so absolutely. So, you know, so that is more, is more, is um, a monounsaturated fat. Now, our polyunsaturated fats, that's going to be like, for example, um, any kind of vegetable oil, like for, like, uh, let's say, um, soybean oil, corn oil, okay, so all the bad oils, as well as good oils, like fish oil, right? So if you were to put corn oil in the refrigerator, does it change its structure? No, it doesn't, right? It's still liquid. You put fish oil in the refrigerator, what is it? Liquid, right? That's because more double bonds gives it more fluidity. You guys see that? So more double bonds and more fluidity. So really what we want with our cells is we want very strong support structures, but we want lots of fluidity in between the support structures. What that does is that gives, that gives the cells um, more uh, flexibility so it can pop different receptors in. And that, that's very, very important because the receptor sites, the ability for our body to just upregulate receptors is key for our body to respond well to, to hormones, to adapt to the environment, things like that. And so very, very key as far as that goes. And so cholesterol plays, again, that backbone. Same thing with saturated fats. Very, very key with that. So saturated fat is essential. So when we're looking at this, okay, and we're really looking at atherosclerosis, this process, okay, we're kind of taking a look at how it starts to develop. Really, ultimately, this is what we're going to talk more about, is that's really an inflammatory process, how this really fully develops. In fact, we're going to talk about oxidized cholesterol and how that works. So let's look at why saturated fat is essential. By the way, when we look at a plaqued up artery like this, only 24% of the fat in there is saturated fat and cholesterol. Okay? Everything else is polyunsaturated fats that have been damaged. So we'll talk about why that is. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You're you're right. I have heard that. And so yeah. And so there, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about that. Um, you know, me, I, I don't really. You know, I, I think there's a, a, a an aspect of kind of evolution, but I, you know, I I I don't really go way back into kind of prehistory and all the all that talk. But however, what I do know is that every single day as a human species, as humankind, we're either growing and getting stronger or we're doing the opposite, right? We're either healing or we're dying. So every single day our genes are literally being changed and transformed. So there's definitely an aspect. People that are cultures that were closer to the ocean, right? That were eating fish typically have higher intellect. Right, and higher IQs and stuff like that. They're eating all these polyunsaturated fats. Um, Scott, do you have a question? If you have low plaque and low cholesterol, low plaque. no plaque. Yeah. So what that tells me really is that your body, for some reason, is not producing. Some people have this. They're not producing enough cholesterol. If it's really low, that's a scare, like I said. And so heart disease, it may not be the, the scare for heart disease if you don't have a plaque, but your, your hormones are going are gonna to be damaged because of that. Your immune system is going to be weaker. 
Cholesterol is a healing molecule. It helps those cells, um, actually it helps the, the internal and the out, out external layer, it helps them rebuild with greater level of integrity. So when we rebuild cells, we want strong, resilient cells. We need good cholesterol in there. We need that. So let's look at saturated fat right here. This plays a huge role in a lot of things. So least, so least amount of plaque buildup in their arteries, people with high amounts of saturated fat, okay? Also healthier balance of good and bad cholesterol and blood concentration of other fats, better overall health and quality of life because they have better brain function like you were talking about, Barbara. So saturated fat's key for the brain, saturated fat and cholesterol, better overall ability to handle life's daily stresses. We're gonna talk about that, it's called emotional intelligence. And we're gonna kind of finish our workshop up with that because most of you guys understand that heart disease, there's an emotional element to that, right? Most of you guys probably understand that. There is an emotional element to that. So we're gonna talk about how that works too. But saturated fat is absolutely key. And I could go on and on. I mean, I could literally list probably about 12 things that saturated fat is absolutely key for. But I just kind of broke it down to, to some basics there. Saturated fat is essential. However, ideally we wanna get our saturated fat from what type of sources? Plant-based, so like what's our best plant-based source of saturated fat? Coconut oil, right? You know, your different, your different uh, um, island oils, right? So different nuts, exactly, coconut oil. There's a big difference. We're gonna talk about grass-fed meat versus grain-fed meat as well. And so we'll definitely get our saturated fat from that as well. So ratios are key. So when it comes down to cholesterol, really the big thing that we're looking at is the ratio and then the size of the particles. So we know the LDL to HDL ratio should be three to one or better, okay? So when I look at blood tests, I don't look at total cholesterol. I go right to these ratios, and that's where I look. Triglycerides ideally should be less than 150 milligrams per deciliter, okay? And so ideally even less than that, right? I, I like to look at them less than 100, less than 80. I ideally want them less lower than your HDL. That's kind of ideally where, where I like to see them, okay? So if you have high triglycerides and low HDL, that's gonna increase your risk of heart disease. Low triglycerides, high HDL, um, that's, that's healthy. And so we'll talk more about that. And I'm gonna get into really good detail with this next week to explain this, but let's look at this. Triglyceride HDL ratio, like we were talking about, this should be less than two. Okay, so that ratio should be less than two. So if you had triglycerides, if they were 130 and your HDLs were 60, is that good or bad? Is it? So it's under 150, so a medical doctor would say, well, that's not bad, right? That's good, okay? However, if, if your triglycerides are 130 and your HDL is 60, is that good or bad? That's bad, you guys see it? Because it's over two, okay? However, if your triglycerides are 130 and your HDL is 70, now what are you looking at? It's under two, you see that? So it's a difference with that. So um, high triglycerides, low HDL, heart disease, just like I was saying, healthy dietary, Fats are actually the number one thing that will help increase HDL. Good, high quality fats in your diet, absolutely essential for increasing HDL count. And so that's key. Also, high intensity exercise. Who's at our surge training classes, right? So absolutely, so that is a powerful method for increasing HDL when we start doing surge training. We're, our body is naturally gonna produce more testosterone when we produce more testosterone, our cholesterol in general should go up because you need cholesterol in order to produce testosterone. So cholesterol will go up, however, because our body is under less inflammation, the HDL will be the one that, that goes up most significantly. LDL might go up some, but again, 
We're not really that, that concerned. We're more concerned with the ratio. So number one causes for increased triglycerides, what does that say? Sugar and high fructose corn syrup. So let's look at this. This is the other thing that we're going to look at. And I'm going to go more into detail about this next week. But this is key that we understand this, that we have two different types of LDL. We have a large particle LDL and a small particle LDL. And so these large particles, the difference is that they have a lot of vitamin E, so a lot of fat-soluble vitamins uh, that are contained in there. And so remember, cholesterol is not the problem. It's oxidized cholesterol that's the problem, right? So what's the problem? Oxidized cholesterol. And so what oxidizes things? Who's heard of free radicals? Yep, so everybody's pr probably heard of free radicals, and that's a normal product of metabolism. We're always developing and, and, and creating free radicals. The key is we always want to make sure we have lots of antioxidant defenses. And so these large particles, they're loaded with vitamin E, so because of that, they have more protection more from, free, from uh, free radical damage. These smaller ones have a lot less, and this is pattern B. Again, we're going to talk about that next week more in more detail. But these ones right here, obviously, not only do they have less vitamin E, but they also are easier, easier slippage and entry into the endothelial wall. So you guys see this? This is kind of your blood vessel wall. There's these little gaps in that wall, and that's key for, for transmission um, and for, for nutrient delivery, things like that. However, it can also cause big-time problems because... When these slip in there, now they just become lodged in that endothelial wall, and it's like being unprotected. It's like, let's say, um, somebody's chasing you with a baseball bat, right? As long as you run and you have open land, you're fine, right? When you get stuck in the corner, what happens? You get beat up, right? Exactly. So same thing that happens with, the, with those, those, uh, those small um, uh, LDLs, the pattern Bs. So... Like I said, next week I'm going to go in more detail. I'm going to show you a bunch of different slides. We're going to break this down in more detail so you can really see kind of what this looks like. So Time Magazine, they talked about the real secret killer. And this is what happens with, with all degenerative disease, whether it's heart disease, cancer, arthritis, uh, osteoporosis. I mean, you name a degenerative disease, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, any of those types. The secret killer, really the underlying thing, is the inflammation. So we've got to address the inflammation. Saying that cholesterol causes heart disease is kind of like saying gray hair causes aging, right? Now, you guys are like, well, what does he mean by that? It's associated with it, right? So there's an association with certain things, certain characteristics of cholesterol, right? Just kind of like the small, dense LDL, right? And, and, and heart disease, there's an association there and the oxidized cholesterol, but it's not actually the cause. The cause is right here, inflammation. So we really want to measure inflammation. The best blood tests to get when you're looking at really um, your heart disease risk are going to be C-reactive protein. We know that people with high levels of CRP increase the risk of heart attack by 4.4 times, right? Because that's an inflammatory marker in our body. So that's very key to look at. Also, homeocysteine. Who's heard of homeocysteine before? Probably a lot of you guys. This is a byproduct of the methylation cycle. So basically, as our body is uh, kind of producing energy, it, it can be a byproduct of that. So what we need are a lot of methylation factors. Next week, I'm going to go in more detail about that. In fact, next week is all dedicated to the top 10 
best foods to fight heart disease and the top five supplements to break it down. So I'll go into more detail on that next week, okay? But here are major culprits. So when it comes to heart disease, these are the major issues that we've really got to address. Sugar and circulating, high circulating insulin and leptin, okay? Bad fats, we'll talk about that. Poor oxygen intake, subluxation, chronic emotional stress. So all of these things are the key aspects when it comes to heart disease. So nutritional essentials, when we really look at our nutrition, these are the steps that we've got to take. Who here is, who here is done or is doing the healing diet? Okay, some of you guys are. And so the healing diet is the diet I always tell people, this is going to give you the quickest results. This will reverse disease in your body. This will um, allow you to, to burn fat more effectively, clear out your arteries, all of those things. There's a couple reasons for that, and I'll, I'll go into that. But here are the steps. So the, the simple rules that we need to start right away, reduce sugar and grain intake, eat good fats, eliminate bad fats, and change the meat. So let's see, elevated insulin. Okay, we know insulin, of course, is our, our pro-inflammatory hormone. And also, when insulin is elevated, what can we not burn? Fat, right? So absolutely. So when insulin is elevated, our body is not able to effectively burn through fat. So that is key. What raises insulin? Sugar, right? Sugar and carbs, sugar and grains. And so insulin rises, and its job is to unlock the door to let sugar, to let carbohydrate. Uh, do we have that plugged in? I guess not. Okay. So make sure that's plugged in there. Probably not plugged in over here, maybe, or something. Because uh, probably the battery went out. All right. So anyway, so sugar. So when we're looking at this, how much in our body at, at one time, how much sugar should be circulating? Yeah, about a teaspoon of sugar, okay? When we have more than that, our body can literally go into shock. In fact, the sugar molecules, the glucose, will actually start to, um, will actually attach to proteins, <coughs> to major proteins or enzymes, and it will cause something called advanced glycolytic enzymes. Now, all of a sudden, these proteins that play an important role in our body, all of a sudden, they become oxidized, and they become uh, kind of like, they become... Um, like sticky, like glue-like, and they start to actually jam right up into different tissues, and they become what's called AGEs, advanced glycolytic enzymes. And so what does that stand for, AGEs? Age, right? So that produces, it actually uh, accelerates the aging process in our body. So obviously very, very important that insulin does its job, and it pulls the blood sugar out and puts it into the cells. However, when insulin is elevated in our body, so when it's chronically high, which in most people in our society, it is because we eat so many carbs, right? So when that happens, now all of a sudden, we get also this inflammatory cascade because it also produces more inflammation in our body. If you look at the typical American diet, most people, right, they're, they're, what do they usually eat for breakfast? Cereal. Cereal. A cereal, right? And so, you know, there are some cereals that are better than others, but really, is there any cereal that doesn't have sugar in it, right, or, or some sort of simple carbohydrate that our body will break down. I mean, they all do. And so I'm actually going to show you guys at our next recipe day, I'm actually going to show you guys how to make a cereal that you can eat in the morning, right, without any of the grains, any of those carbs. I'm going to show you guys how to do that. Yeah, so it'll be good. Okay, and so we'll, we'll talk about how that works. But we've got to keep, we absolutely have to keep insulin down. We've got to keep our, our blood sugar stable. So outside of the sugar, the other major cause and the major problem is the high fructose corn syrup. In fact, when you, when you uh, take in high fructose corn syrup, one of the things that the 
fructose that it breaks down into is glycerol. So it's, it's actually called G3P glycerol 3-phosphate. And that's actually the backbone for triglycerides. Who's heard of triglycerides before? Yep, so probably everybody has, right? So triglyceride, the, the backbone, okay, that's the backbone, glycerol I should say, is the backbone for triglyceride and it attaches to three fatty acids. And so high fructose corn syrup or anything with high levels of fructose will break down into a triglyceride faster than anything else. And so we'll actually produce higher triglycerides faster than anything else. So we definitely got to avoid the high fructose corn syrup, but then also other things that high, have high levels of fructose. One of those things is high amounts of sugar. Okay, I'm sorry, not, not sugar, but um, high amounts of fruit, right? So fruit, what is the sugar in fruit? Fructose, right? So when we take in lots of sugar, lots of fruit, guess what? Now fructose goes up. Okay, you guys see this? So now we're going to create more glycerol, and so we have the ability to create more triglycerides. You see that? So it also produces seven times more AGEs than glucose. So part of the metabolism of fructose, very challenging in our liver, and we'll actually produce more of these AGEs. Also, we won't get the leptin release. So who's heard of the hormone leptin? Very critical hormone. Leptin is the hormone that senses that we're satisfied. So as we're eating food, leptin starts to get secreted by our fat cells, circulates right up into our hypothalamus, and if our, if our body is sensitive, it will say, I'm full, I'm satisfied. However, if we're not, if we, if we have poor leptin sensitivity, we'll never hear that signal. So we'll just keep on eating, okay? So very, very key. It also increases uric acid. And so uric acid is the causative factor in gout, and also uric acid will, will through several different mechanisms, increase blood pressure. And so we've gotta really minimize these things. So if we're really trying to reverse heart disease in our body, we definitely wanna minimize the amount of fruit that we eat as well. Okay, so occasional fruit is fine, but high amounts of fruit can definitely be disastrous for our system. So we wanna minimize that. And what are the most, what are the lowest glycemic, highest nutrient dense fruit? Berries. Berries, that's right. So blueberries, raspberries, strawberries, those are the best ones, okay? From time to time, I like, my favorite fruit is a peach. I like to have a peach from time to time, but um, you know, but, it, but it's rare. I usually don't you know, load up on a whole lot of fruit. So, what's that? I really don't. And so when I eat, when I eat a higher glycemic fruit, like typically I stick with berries. When I do eat a higher glycemic fruit, I like apples from time to time. So I might have a Granny Smith apple or something like that. I love peaches, so I'll have a peach. But I, I almost never eat, you know, like watermelon. It's very, very rare. Or, um, or bananas. Yeah, exactly. So bananas. Yeah, occasional. There's a lot of things that are high in potassium. So a lot of people will say that. But yeah, so there's tons of good things that are that are high in potassium. So, what's that? Kiwi. I would keep it to a minimum because kiwi is a high sugar fruit. So keep them to a minimum, but they are high in antioxidants, which is a good thing about them. So, yep. So even fruit, we want to keep that in moderation. Now, certain body types, you know, if you're really active, okay, so you're a real active type, you're not overweight, right, you don't have a chronic disease in your body, you can handle more fruit than, you know, somebody who isn't. But as a general rule, these huge, gigantic fruit salads, we really want to reduce that. We really don't want to be, you know, doing that. We don't want to be juicing just a ton of fruit because, I mean, it just breaks down into sugar. In fact, I remember years ago, I used to eat fruit salad a lot. And I would always feel kind of bloated 
and just not good afterwards, right? I just mm-hmm. didn't feel good. And so why? Because I was taking in all this fructose. And so my blood sugar was going up. I was having a lot of different issues. Fats that kill, this is another big aspect. We've got to take out these bad fats, the, uh, the soybean, the safflower, corn oil, cottonseed, all these toxic fats. This right here will cause massive amounts of free radicals in our body and will cause this bad ratio of omega-6 to omega-3. Who knows what our typical ratio should be, omega-6 to omega-3? Yeah, it should be about anywhere between 2 and 1 to 4 and 1, right? Guess what the average American is? Yeah, it's 20 to 1 ratio, right? So it's through the roof. At the cellular layer, these fats help produce certain prostaglandins. And those prostaglandins, when we have a good ratio, for example, the high, the high omega-3 fats, they help produce prostaglandins called prostaglandin E2, that, I'm sorry, prostaglandin E3, that helps, uh, it's an anti-inflammatory prostaglandin. Okay, whereas the bad fats, the high omega-6 fats, produce another prostaglandin that's pro-inflammatory, so it causes inflammation in our body. So we definitely have got to reduce our content of that. And then on top of that, you know, we really want to load up on good fats that heal. So, so what are some of these good fats? What do you guys like? Avocados, right? So who had avocado this weekend? Awesome. Great job, guys. Avocados are a phenomenal fat for you, uh, absolutely fantastic for you. We're going to talk about next week how avocados help our body reduce its amount of homocysteine, right? Homocysteine. So they help reduce that one of those one of those inflammatory markers that 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 ramps up heart disease. Avocados are great. How about extra virgin olive oil? Who had that this weekend? Phenomenal for you, loaded with vitamin E, absolutely amazing for your heart. And of course though with with olive oil, you want to get it best in its in its natural state, right? So when it's raw rather than cooking with it. What do you want to cook with? Coconut oil, that's right. Coconut oil is, is the best oil to cook with. So that's what we want to cook with. Can't be denatured under high heat, right? Phenomenal medium chain saturated fats that are absolutely essential for us. So we'll talk about how we want to do this. We're going to talk about the best foods for us next week. Grass-fed beef. So well, big difference, right, between our grain-fed meat and our grass-fed meat. And a lot of you guys know this. You've been at other workshops. It really depends on the fatty acid ratio of what we're feeding them. So when we feed animals grains, are grains high in omega-3 or omega-6? Omega-6, right? So in fact, grains, most grains typically have a very, very high ratio. In fact, let's look at this ratio right here. So this is typically what they're feeding the animals. So you can see right here, so corn. So corn is one of the most genetically modified food sources. So it's very, very cheap for, obviously, for animal manufacturers to get that. And so it's very cheap, very inexpensive for them to feed that to the animals. No wonder why, right, your burgers, things like that, right, you go to McDonald's, it's like 99 cents, you get this huge, gigantic burger, fries, right, all this stuff, and it's so cheap because it's all paid for by the government. I always tell people it's artificially cheap. It's actually costing us a whole lot more, tax dollars, right, and all these things. However, it's artificially cheap in the sense that um, the government has paid for most of that to be produced. And then they pay more for people that are getting sick and disease. It makes no sense, but this is what's going on. So we've got corn. You guys see right here, we've also got the soybean. And so soybean as well, even though it has a little bit more omega-3, has a very, very high ratio of omega-6 to omega-3. On the flip side, when they're eating the grass, look at this. Now it's got a 2.5 to 1 ratio of omega-3 to omega-6. Okay, So even beyond where it should be. So grass and green foods 
one of the most nutrient-dense, best sources of omega-3s that you can put in your body, believe it or not. So you definitely want to be loading up on the good, the, uh, the good vegetables. So when we look at the meat, so when animals eat the grains, of course, now they're producing so much more of this omega-6. So let's look at this. So we've got grain-fed cattle. Okay, you can see here's the omega-3 content. Here's the omega-6 content. So when we look at that ratio, break it down, it's really about a 20 to 1 ratio. So no wonder why we have our society has a 20 to 1 ratio, because what do most people eat? Grain-fed animal products, right? So this goes, this is the same. When they feed the animal grains, it's the same process with the dairy that comes out of the cow, right? As well as the, um, obviously, the meat that comes out of it. So even with dairy, a lot of people will say, well, how about dairy? I always say, for me personally, I don't use dairy at all, right? However, if I was going to use it, I would get it from an animal that eats what? Grass, right? So from a goat or a cow that eats grass. And you know what? That would be fine. I'm all for that. You, you know, if you get grass-fed cheese, grass-fed milk, you know, grass-fed cow milk or goat milk, I'm all for that. Go for it. You know, there's a lot of nutrient density to that. However, the problem is, um, as, as long as they don't over-process it, of course, too. Um, but the problem is when they're feeding the animal grains, now we have this skewed ratio. On the flip side, look at your grass-fed beef. You guys see this? What does that ratio look like? Two to one. See that? So now, all of a sudden, we've taken this meat and we've made it a powerfully healthy food for you. Okay? So this is how grass-fed meat will actually be very, very nutrient-dense and very supportive to our system. Uh, also, we're looking at a lot of the wild game, like antelope, deer, because they're naturally grazing on grass. Their ratios are good as well, four to one, you know, two and a half to one, you know, uh, three to one. So the deer, the antelope, the elk. So all of those things, they're high in omega-3s and low in omega-6s. And in fact, they have the right ratio. And that's exactly what we want. So, yeah. Good question. So, great question, Scott. So, um, so there are some animals where we really don't want to eat, right? So, I, I go right to the Bible as my source. Okay, I look at that, and there's wisdom in it. You know, obviously, God wanted to set His people up for the best success. And so, what does the Bible say about pig? Don't eat. It says don't eat it, right? And you look at the nature of a pig, and it is a very toxic, very rancid animal. It has very poor detoxification processes, and they will literally eat anything. And they will go around, they will eat um, their young, right? I mean, they're just very, very toxic animals. They have a four-hour digestive process. They store all their, all their toxins right in their fat. They really don't detox. So pigs are great for the planet. They're like trash cans. However, the reality is they're not good for our body. What does it say about um, shellfish? It says a forbidden meat, right? Exactly. And so we look at shellfish, same thing. Lobsters, right? All these bottom feeders. Typically, anything that eats meat, okay, right? So, so grown meat that's higher up the food chain, anything that will do that typically is going to be more toxic. And so we don't want to eat these carnivores, right, and, and these things that are low on the food chain. They also, I'm sorry, low, they, these uh, lobster, uh, shrimp, you know, all this stuff, it eats the trash, it's the trash cans of the sea, right? So, I mean, literally, they're scavengers, and they just eat off the ground. And so just eating all kinds of junk, very, very toxic, very bad for us. So I really don't recommend those, those meats. However, when we're looking at chicken, things like that, we want to get free-range chicken. And so like my mom has 
up at her house, bless you. Her mom lives about two hours from here in the country, and she has, I think, like 16 chickens, and she'll throw a bunch of weeds in their little pen, and they go crazy over them. They love eating the weeds, right? And of course, they eat, she has like a flaxseed meal that they eat, and uh, so these are the eggs she gets from very, very high integrity, high omega-3 eggs. And so chickens, you can't get grass-fed. There's no such thing. There's no label that says grass-fed chicken. But what do we look for? Free range. That's right. So you want to get free range chicken, free range turkey, um, grass-fed when it comes to cattle. Okay. So you definitely want to get grass-fed, grass-fed beef. Um, bison is really good for you. All those different meats. In fact. They can be depending on your nutritional type. And so like I know with Steve, uh, we, because we weren't quite getting where we wanted to with him, we did a little bit more in-depth questionnaire and we found out that his body type is gonna respond a little bit better staying away from the red meats, the high purine rich meats. Certain body types are, are gonna respond like that. Um, other body types are actually gonna thrive off those red meats. They actually need that for, for optimal function. So. Blood types and metabolic types are what we look at, yeah? So certain blood types, like a blood type O typically is gonna do better with red meats, okay? Other, other blood types like AB, you know, they, they typically really don't want that. However, um, you know, everything is kind of susceptible to the individual. So like I always tell you guys, the greatest doctor is where? Is inside, that's right. So I'm gonna give you the general recommendations and I'm gonna do, and it's always well-researched and it's always proven through obviously uh, results in many different offices. However, the reality is you're, you know, within you, God put the greatest doctor within you. And so I might tell you to eat an avocado, you might have a reaction to avocado. I might tell you to eat grass-fed beef, you might have a reaction to that. And so you've got to listen to that innate wisdom that God put deep within you because that's going to give you the right signs, the right, the right support. And so the healing diet is absolutely the diet to reverse disease, to lose weight quickly, right, and help obviously prevent uh, future disease in your body. And so the healing diet, you can do a great thing about this. I've had people do it, like Jamal, you know, doing it vegetarian, right? I've had people doing it um, vegan, right? I've had people doing it, obviously, not doing that at all, right? Eating mostly meat. And I've still seen those people lose a lot of weight, right? And actually uh, dramatically improve their health. And so it definitely can be done no matter what your, uh, your ethical viewpoints or no matter what your desire is as far as your diet is concerned. So the healing diet looks like this. Number one, we want to eliminate the grains, right? Minimize fruit. We talked about that. Berries are okay. Moderate protein. And here's the big thing. So on the healing diet, some people have been on the healing diet and they think, and they, they haven't lost the amount of weight they want to lose. I always tell them that's probably because two things, either you're toxic or, so you might have severe neurotoxicity or number two, you're taking in too much protein. This is not a high protein diet. We actually want to lower it a little bit. Okay, we lower the protein a little bit. Now our body is going to burn fat more effectively because when we have over 25 grams of protein in a meal, our body will literally break down those amino acids into glucose, right? And so when glucose goes up, what other hormone goes up? Insulin. Insulin. That's right. So now insulin goes up. Now our body can't burn what effectively? Fat. Fat. You see that? So we've got to keep the protein moderate as well. So very, very important. We load up on the good fat sources, use good salts, hydrate, lots and lots of good vegetables we're eating throughout the day. That's the key to turning your body into a lean, mean fat burning machine and rebuilding your heart. And so, yeah, yeah. And so definitely caffeine. 
Yep, so all those high-protein diets, ultimately long-term, what they're teaching your body is actually to break down. So those diets, if you guys don't know, South Beach, Atkins diet, you can definitely lose a lot of weight on those diets. However, you're not teaching your body to burn fat effectively because the high-protein, you're actually teaching your body to break down muscle mass and use that. So at night, your body will actually go ahead, instead of burning fat really effectively, will break down uh, protein, amino acids, within your, your skeletal muscle and within, uh, within your, bone, your bone, because there's protein within your bone that holds the calcium matrix. And so it will break those things down. So what we know is that people are on high-protein diets, they have an increased risk of osteoporosis, right? And they break down muscle quicker. And so, you know, it can do some, some effects in the short term, but long-term cause a lot of problems also with your kidney and your liver. Because there's, there's, um, there's nitrates, there's, there's uh, ammonium that's produced when you're eating high protein. And so high and high amounts of ammonium overstresses our liver and our kidneys. So we definitely don't want those high, high protein diets. So on top of that, so transitioning from the nutrition, we've really got to get into how we're carrying ourselves and how we're breathing. So guys, a little bit about my past. What, years ago, um, when I was in my undergrad, I actually worked at a, a hospital rehabbing heart and lung patients. So I was a cardiopulmonary rehab. So people come in my office um, with COPD or they're coming off heart surgeries, things like that. And pretty much almost every one of them were short, shallow breathers. And you probably see this as a, a respiratory specialist. And their head is shifted forward like this, right? And so because of that, remember when that head shifts forward, what does that do to the nerves right in this area? Yeah, it cuts off the nerve supply, right? And where do the nerves in that pivot point of your spine, where do they run out to? They're right out to your heart, exactly. So it causes dysfunction there. So we've really got to focus on our posture and our ability to deep breathe. Everybody put your head out like this real quick. And take, a, take a breath. Okay, now bring your head back. Now take a breath. Where do you get more out of? Right there, that second one, big time, right? And so we've really got to take that time to do deep breathing really focusing on that, that helps calm your heart, relax it, helps bring more oxygen in there, rebuild the tissue, bring more life supply into that area. So I know Satish, right, we talked a lot about, we're always talking about doing that deep breathing. That's one of his keys to the program that I set him up on. And so when we're looking at this, obviously we know how key this is because, you know, God's put the most amazing healing power in one system in our body, right up here in our brain, our spinal cord. And so for our heart to beat, for our heart to literally function, every one of those cells has to be functioning the way that it should and has to rebuild. So, so Joyce, you have a heart that's literally rebuilding itself every seven months. If we cut this nerve right here to the heart, what happens to it? It's going to die. And everybody understands that. So instead of cutting that nerve, if this nerve, if a bone moves out of place and it pinches and presses against that nerve, right now what kind of cells are going to form in the heart, normal or abnormal? abnormal that's right so now you just let that sit there right so you let that sit there okay what eventually happens to the heart you get enough abnormal cells and what happens dysfunction of the heart so now the heart's dysfunctional now it's not healing the way that it should and eventually what eventually happens you see that i mean everybody understands that is a scientific fact. I mean, there's pressure on those nerves. The heart will shut down. And so when we're looking at this, the only way that we can really test it is through these detailed nerve scans. And the 
nerve scans will really let us know exactly what's going on, what level of pressure is taking place on those nerves. That's why, guys, obviously, those guys are patients. We're continually doing these nerve scans to see how well your body is adapting, how well it's healing, what organs are being affected, right? So we're constantly looking at this. This scan right here, what does that show? Yeah, lots of blockage right there, exactly. Is that person building health or are they building disease? Disease. You guys understand, there, there is a very, very sensitive system in our body, okay? And we're either every single day, we either have greater internal force, right? A greater, a stronger, resilient force to building health, or we're building disease because of all the onslaught of toxins. When we see a scan like this, we immediately know that person is building sickness and disease, right? We see these color bars, particularly reds, blacks. We know that there's damage interference in those nerves. However, this is a month later. What do you see right there? Yeah, how it dramatically improved it was. Satish, you remember that scan when he first came in? He had tremendous pressure on, on his nerves. Now what's your scan look like the last time you did it? It's good, right? It's almost all, all the way cleared out. What? That's right, and his doctors are amazed at how well his heart is functioning. Why? Because we know. So I told Satish, when he started up in here, what, last October? Every seven months he has a new heart. So your body is constantly healing and rebuilding itself. It just, we have to be doing the right things all together for the right amount of time. So it's kind of like this. Let's say we have a plant right here, okay? So we've got a plant sitting there, okay? We give the plant water, we're, we're giving it plenty of water, we're putting nutrients in the soil, okay? And the soil is clean, we made sure there's no toxins there. But we're not putting in the sun. What happens to it? It wilts, but we're like, but I'm giving it water, right? I'm giving it, it's got tons of nutrients, why is it dying? Why? Because we're missing an essential ingredient. Okay, let's say we put it out in the sun, we give it water, okay, but the nutrient, I mean, it's completely deficient in nutrients. What happens to the, the plant? It's going to wilt, right? You guys see this? So it's not like we pick and choose. When it comes to being healthy, there are essentials. They're called the maximizing essentials. Number one is we've got to make sure that we're obviously reducing toxins in our life, right? We can't be overstressing ourselves with, with all the toxins. We've got to make sure we're maximizing the very expression of life, the nervous system, maximizing how God created our body to heal. We gotta make sure that we have the right nutrients, right? That we have all the right nutrients for our body to heal appropriately, that we're oxygenating and exercising, that we're keeping good posture, taking deep breaths, and then obviously that we're maximizing our mindset, our emotions, keeping our emotions under control, all of those things. So absolutely essential. So there's a nerve block going out to the heart and we eat all the best food in the world, right? We're, we're on a plant-based, raw diet, right? What's going to happen? Is our body going to heal? Not the way that it should, right? And so why? So what happens? We still get abnormal cells. Let's say we do get pressure off the nerves, okay? But we're eating junk. Are we ever going to live to our God-given potential? No. So you guys see all these things go hand in hand. It's all about maximizing the expression of the spirit or soul that God put within our body so it can better express itself and really be all that God created it to be. So we've got to make sure we're following all these essentials. Obviously, with the x-rays, who's going to heal? Who's going to get heart disease first, right? This person over here with a nice, healthy spinal cord, or this person right here that's lost the curve in their neck where it's stretching the spinal cord? Who's going to get heart disease first? Yeah, this one on the right, because what kind of cells are they forming in their body, normal or abnormal? Abnormal, right? So who's going to get cancer first? Yeah, this person right here. Let's say that this person right here 
eats great, this person doesn't, who's still going to get heart disease first? Yeah, because more important than nutrition is how well our body is self-healing. Nutrition is absolutely essential. We've got to be doing those things. No excuses for that. However, the most important thing we can do is maximize the spirit, the, the expression of the spirit and soul in our body by making sure that our spine, our nerve system is healthy, that we've got a good curve in our neck, that all those nerves are able to flow freely out to the organs. And so on top of that, obviously, we have three major stresses that cause subluxation. Chemical, physical, and emotional. What's an example of a chemical stress? That would be what? Smoking, air pollution, bad food, right? All those kind of things, yep. What's an example of physical stress? Yep, exercise or lack of, yep, we can over-exercise, right? We can um, exercise appropriately, that's a good physical stress. Over-exercise, bad physical stress. Under-exercise, bad physical stress. Our bodies were made to move, right? We're actually deficient in movement then. And so what happens, our brain will actually atrophy. Research has shown when we don't exercise, our brain atrophies. It literally starts to, to, to decay and die because it's like a brain. Uh, or I'm sorry, it's like, um, it's like a muscle, right? So it starts to actually atrophy. And then on top of that, car accidents, bad posture, right? Things like that, those are all physical stresses that cause subluxation, damage to the nerve system. But the most important stress that we all deal with on a regular basis is what? Emotional, emotional stress, right? All of us do. And so what happens when, when we have high levels of emotional stress? We start pumping out all these major stress hormones. And most of you guys know these, epinephrine, right? Adrenaline, cortisol, all these different hormones. Now stress is key for short periods of time, right? So when we're under stress, we, it should be for a short period of time to allow us to either fight or flight, right? So we either run for our life or to, um, or to fight for our life, right? So very, very necessary for a short period of time. However, when it's chronic, now it causes big time problems. So what we know is this, research has shown that people, and there, there are questionnaires that can actually test your level of emotional intelligence, but really when we're looking at this, um, one of the big things that we look at is, is really is overall how you handle the daily stresses in your life. And it's something called emotional intelligence. So who's sort of IQ, right, intellectual quotient? More important, what we know today is in our society today, like kids get tested for their IQ, but what's way more important that will determine their future health, their, their future success in life, all those things, is actually their EQ, their emotional quotient. And what that means is that their, their, their ability, their affinity to adapt, learn, and grow from life stresses. So when you're under stress, you know, you have a choice. You have a choice to um, have it be another burden. I, I can't even tell you how many people will come in and they're just like too much stress, right? They're just constantly, you know, complaining about this stress and this stress and what's going on in their life. However, God calls us to be victors, right? To rise above. He says that we're more than conquerors in our life, right? That we're more than conquerors, that we have this incredible power within us that, 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 that controls the healing process within us and controls our ability to adapt to all the stresses, right, and to grow and respond to that. And we know, ultimately, that we're a spiritual being having a human existence, right? So having this earthly existence, and there's one reason for that. It's so that we can grow, that we can better express what God has for us to all the rest of his creation, that we can better express love. And what that means is this, that who's ever read the, read the book of James, right, where it says, I consider it all joy, my brethren, 
when I, when I encounter various trials, right? And so what a powerful statement that is. And he talks about how it helps build patience and steadfastness and all those things. And how critical that is, that when we're under stress, we grow. So in order for, for, you, in order for you to be in good shape, you need to stress your body, right? Who was at surge class last Saturday? Some of you guys, Sakich, tough workout, right, Scott? Tough workout. We stressed our system, but our body responds to that, right? Over the next 24 to 36 hours, we are healing at a higher level, adapting, burning fat, doing all those different things, building muscle. We are adapting to that stress. It's the same thing with the stresses that we take in during the course of our life, okay? No matter what it is, you know, somebody in your family dies or, you know, there's a major you know, obviously, emergency in your family, or you're stuck in traffic, whatever it is, there is no, who believes that there's no accidents in life, that everything is there to help you grow? Who believes that? Yeah, I, tr I certainly do. I, I truly believe that that's the case. And so, if that's the case, then even being stuck in traffic, right, or um, being late, missing an appointment, or, um, you know, being late for the airport, whatever it is, whatever the big stresses are that we deal with, that that is there for a reason, that we're, there's an incredible opportunity for us to grow and respond to that. And so it's all about this emotional intelligence, our ability to, to really understand that and to grow from it. And that is so key. And so we look at it with, with kids, you know, I mean, these are the, the, the traits we start to develop, right? I know for me, the greatest growth in my life has come from the greatest stresses, absolutely the greatest growth. I remember years ago, I was about 19, 20 years old, 21, something like that. I was a personal trainer. I was working two jobs. I was going to school full time, and then I broke my ankle. And so immediately after I broke my ankle, I thought, this is the worst thing that could have happened to me, right? However, because I broke my ankle, it got me disciplined. It got me focused. I really wasn't that disciplined. I was out busy surfing, doing a lot of different things like that. All of a sudden, I became disciplined and focused, and what happens? Um, I ended up falling in love with learning science, and uh, there's no way, if I had not broken my ankle, there's no way I would have the discipline. Um, I would have still been in Florida, probably being, being a personal trainer and surfing every day, right? It gave me the discipline to really focus, to really mo make the most out of my life, and here I am, all of a sudden God put me on this crusade, right, to, 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 to obviously radically transform this community. When I was building this office out, I had incredible amounts of stress, right? Here you are. I'm coming out of school. I have you know, $165,000 in debt, including building this place, right? But I knew I had a vision. Like God put this vision and this dream in my heart. I wanted to help as many people as possible, and I knew I had to do it. And regardless of the amount of stress, regardless of the anxiety, all of these different things, and I've talked to numerous people, and most people, you know, they never take that risk to really go out and go for what it is they want in their life. And I asked God, I said, I was, I, nobody would give me a business loan, right? I never really owned my own business. Nobody would give me a business loan. All of a sudden, I started getting these 0% credit cards. I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. But God, I just, I just prayed it up. God said, you know what? You got to keep going. You got to keep taking these steps. So I just gave it up to him. I said, Lord, it's, it, it, for, you know, it's your will. Just, just work through me. I just pray that you, know, you just work through me. And uh, you know, that's what he's done. Now we have this incredible clinic. We take care of hundreds of people. We have all these testimonials, people reversing disease, all these people getting off medications. I woke up, and it's just like, wow. And, and just literally the dreams that I had growing up of being able to help people and, and seeing these kind of results, they're taking place. And, uh, you know, I have more and more dreams, greater dreams than this. And I know that the trials I've gone through are helping me get to that level. I go down at least once a year down to Florida 
with um, other maximized living doctors, and we go through a boot camp, a literally a training camp for three days. We literally, um, my legs are fried at the end of this camp. Um, emotionally, I'm absolutely drained. But every single time I go to that camp, I grow stronger as a person, as a as a human being, as um, as a, a leader, as a an, um, uh, an employer, as a child of God, as a doctor. I grow I grow stronger in every area of my life. Why? Because I'm pushed to the test, and it's when I'm pushed that's what allows me to grow stronger. It's the same thing with you guys. So when you're under stress in your life, you want to be you want to engage that. You want to be excited about it. Because God only gives you what you need, right? Who would believe that? Who believes that God only gives you what you need? Yeah. And so he gives you that for a reason so that you can grow and be stronger. And so the way that you react to it, when you react to it and, and, you, and you count your blessings and you're grateful for those stresses, that's how we grow. We become stronger as human beings. And so the maturation level, you look at this right here. This is IQ, right? This is EQ. It's kind of the underlying factor that will determine your sex success when it becomes when it comes to health, when it comes to um, overall your, your your entire quality of life. It comes down to your your emotional quotient, your ability to really understand your own emotions and to, and to grow from stresses. And so, with that being said, guys, that's it for this week. Next week, I'm going to talk about the top ten best foods for fighting heart disease, the top five supplements for fighting and reversing heart disease. We're gonna go in more detail about LDL, HDL. I'm gonna show you guys exactly what we're looking for. We're gonna go through some sample blood tests and really break this down so you guys can understand it for yourself. And, and ultimately guys, you know, I always you know, close my workshops and I ask you guys to bring people out here, the people that you know. And you know, it's never to pester you, right? But the reality is that people are out in our society and, and they are dying. And you guys know this, they were sick, they are dying just like my grandfather was. Nobody ever told him about information like this. I remember people dying just like Nadine's brother with triple bypass. Nobody ever told you, Sati and Victor. Nobody ever told you you had several heart attacks. Nobody ever told us about this. And there are people in our community that are out there. They're sick and dying. I'm here to I'm do whatever I possibly can. I'm doing workshops at churches, um, at Whole Foods, everything I can because I have one vision, and that's to change this community. I know I might be, uh, you know, digging a hole that keeps getting filled up, right? One of my mentors says it's kind of like digging on a beach, right? I dig, and what happens? The sand comes right back into it. But you know what? I know it's going to play a role, and I know it's going to make a difference. In fact, the greatest story, I read this often, is about the child. And some of you guys know this story, right? This, this child is walking through the beach, picking up, um, picking up uh, what are they, uh, little starfish, right? And throwing the starfish into the water, okay? And an old man comes up and he's just like, you know, there are millions of starfish on this on this ocean. You can't possibly make a difference, right? And and the little girl just looks at him. She says, you know what? She says, picks up the next starfish, throws it in the ocean. She says, you know what? I just made a difference for that one, right? And so she just keeps going, steady and determined. Eventually, a whole bunch of people start helping her. They're they're inspired by her. Before long, they've got the whole thing swept clean. And so I constantly remember that. I constantly focus on that. Every single person that walks in this office, guys, I understand that, that God sent you here for a reason. We're going to do whatever we possibly can to help you. Make sure, guys, there are people dying. There are people that we know in our community that are right next to us at work, at our schools, in our churches. They need to hear this information or they're going to become one of those statistics. Next week is cutting-edge information. There's nobody else in this community in the Atlanta area that is teaching the depth of the information that you guys are getting. You guys realize that, right? 
And so we have a, a moral and ethical obligation. It's to go out, it's to tell people that we know, to bring them out here, because the reality is they're going in one direction or the other. And by default in our society, guess which direction they're going? Sickness, disease, and early death, yep. Somebody's got to stand in the gap, that's us, right? Who's ready to help people? Who, who in this office is ready to help people? Yep. And so what we've got to do is we've got to go out, we've got to tell people, we've got to become part of this. All right, so I'm here, guys. If you have any questions, you can email me, talk to me right now, you know, at the end of the workshop. Yep, but everybody else is, oh, hold on. Everybody else is dismissed. You guys can go. I know I held you here long enough. Next week, I'll also be making a superfood heart disease shake. So anybody that wants to try that heart disease shake, we'll be going through that next week. All right, love you guys. that's the podcast for this week. Don't forget to check out our new website. Just log on to www.exodushc, as in healthcenter.com. See you next time.